بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد نسلی اللہ رسول الکریم اما بار الحمد للہ چنائی از دا ٹوینٹی that we're going through the exalted and illustrious life of our beloved Buddha, Sayyidah Khadija bint Khuwailid, radiyallahu. And the last thing I mentioned was the end state of her illustrious cousin, Sayyidah Nawaraka, radiyallahu. So Khadija, radiyallahu, and actually, after the divine revelation descended upon her unparalleled husband, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, her love and awe increased. So for instance, in Tirmidhi, in his Shama'il, it mentions, once Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu saw Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in the masjid, in a position of humility, sitting on his two feet with folded hands, his pause of utter meekness made her tremble with awe. Subhanallah. So now think about that. how often has she seen the Prophet, you know, countless number of times. Why is it now that when she saw the Prophet just sitting, you know, in a humble position, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that she started to tr- shake? So the scholars point out, this was after the divine revelation had descended. So when she was just looking at the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she would tremble in awe, i.e. out of veneration for him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So Lord, obviously, the difference now between prior to revelation and after the divine revelation. So now, to take a few valuable lessons from the revelation descending. So, Sheikh Muhammad Imdad Hussein Pirzada had made the fascinating observation in his book, Reflections, A Quest for Answers to Today's Questions, page 95. So who is the Sheikh? So the Sheikh is a Hanafi Sheikh. He's uh, the head of an institution. And he's a very learned uh, scholar. And he's wrote many works. So this work is called Reflections, A Quest for Answers to Today's Questions. So he says in that work, Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the actual motives and wisdoms behind Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, not reciting at that auspicious moment of receiving the first divine revelation. So stop in the quote. So the first thing he says very humbly, he says that why did the Prophet not recite when Jibreel told him to recite, so he humbly says, Allah Ta'ala knows the real reason. But then the Shaykh said, however, one of them could be that since it is necessary to begin every surah of the Qur'an, with the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Jibreel alayhi salatu wa salam in the first three instances merely said iqra recite without the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the Prophet sallallahu alayhi salam he refused to read saying I am not one who reads i.e. without the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in other words The Prophet ﷺ is clarifying 
that if he were to instruct all his followers to begin every action with the glorious name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then how is it possible that he himself begins the divine message and starts to lead without invoking the glorious name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the quote. So the Shaykh, he says this is one of the reasons possibly why this took place. So this is important to highlight. There's probably countless reasons why Rasulullah didn't recite what Jibreel told him to recite. And it was only one word. So it's not as if, you know, even logically it's too much for him to memorize. Just one word, ikra. So the response he always gave was, Ma ana biqari. I am not one who leads. So why did he say that? So obviously, Rasulullah was being prepared by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you could say that this was the first test of Rasulullah. Of course, he passed with flying colors. Because the full verse reads, Surah 96 verse 1, Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaqa Recite in the name of your Lord. So if Jibreel had recited the complete verse, the Shaykh was basically saying, then the Prophet would have repeated. But he didn't recite the complete verse. And the complete verse adds in the name of your Lord. So this seems to indicate a clear reason why he didn't recite. So this is again important. But of course there's other reasons the scholars could also point out as well. But this is certainly worth point, uh, pointing out. So now another thing which people highlight here is that they look at the statement of our beloved messenger where he says, Ma ana biqari, I am not one who reads. And then they quickly, without reflection or thinking, they say he was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. So the response to that is, that's a strange response. Why? Because he's not told to write. He's just told to repeat. <laughs> so even if you can't read or write, if somebody goes, repeat after me, you know, that really is a strange way to look at that, why the Prophet didn't respond to the Lord. So now, to clarify upon this, Allah the Almighty and Glorious refers to His Beloved as Ummi. He is the unlettered Prophet. So it's mentioned in a few verses of the Quran. <laughs> So what does that mean, Ummi? The same Sheikh, Sheikh Muhammad Imdad Hussein Pirzada, in the same work, Reflections, A Quest for Answers to Today's Questions, page 92-3, he clarified. Grammatically, just like the Arabic word Makkah is transferred into Makki in order to form a relative adjective, in Arabic, al-ism al-mansub. Similarly from the word ummah, the word ummi is formed, meaning the one who has a community. The Prophet has a community of his own. Just as the previous Prophets had their respected communities. Hence, they were also ummi. So what is the Shaykh basically saying? And he's looking into the Arabic. So if you transform into a relative adjective, 
then it simply means that it refers to the word that you're referring to. So Ummi. Ummi means the one who has a community. Ummi means the one who has a community. So the Shaykh goes, every prophet is there for Ummi. Meaning they have an Ummat. To quote a hadith to prove this. In Ibn Hibban in his Sahih number 6489, Sayyidina Anas, he relates that our beloved Messenger said, on the day of judgment, each Prophet will have a pulpit made of light, and I shall be stationed upon the tallest of them and the most radiant. So stop in the report. So this is again ahead of science. Light to us is something you know, you can't grasp. Mm. It doesn't have substance. Rasulullah is highlighting that if you have a certain type of light, it has substance. Mm. Why? Because it's a pulpit. Mm. So if you have a pulpit of light with the science that we've got now, it doesn't make any sense. You can't sit on it. It's like a hologram. Mm. And the response here is the Prophet is teaching us something which they haven't discovered yet. That you will if you have the tawfiq by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can produce a solid substance with light. So he said, each prophet will have a pulpit made of light. I will have the tallest of them, the most radiant. Then he said, a caller shall cry out, where is the ummi prophet? All the prophets respond, all of us are ummi prophets. So which one have you been sent to? Meaning who are you addressing? The caller returns and the second time calls out, where is the Arab Ummi Prophet? Upon this, Rasulullah shall descend from his pulpit. He will come forward and knock at the gate of paradise and for him the gate of paradise shall be opened. So how is this hadith relevant to this discussion? Because it's explaining the word Ummi. So again, when a person says, is Rasulullah Ummi? You say, yes. How do we know that? The Quran mentions it. This is where the slip takes place. What does it mean? And they say, illiterate. And then you say, who said it means illiterate? And he goes, well, that's the word, Ummi. And the response is, you're talking without knowledge. Mm. Ummi means the one who has an ummah. Every prophet is ummi. So if I, if you, are you telling me every prophet is illiterate? So that doesn't mean that. It means the one who has an ummah. And then obviously, like you say to seal the deal, you quote the hadith. The prophets say, we are all ummi prophets. The hadith says that. So what are they referring to? We've all got an ummah. Who are you referring to? And then the caller says, the Arab Ummi Prophet. And of course, it's referring to the Prophet Sheikh Muhammad Imdad Hussein Pir Zada, he made the fascinating observation in the same work. Reflections, a quest for answers to today's questions, page 93, quote, If our Prophet is an Ummi, meaning illiterate, then how did the other prophets become literate, yet they were also ummis? Because it's a contradiction. 
So what exactly does it mean, Ummi? So one meaning is it means the one who has an Ummah, a prophet with an Ummah. Other interpretations of the blessed scholars of this key word are he was not taught by any worldly teacher. So when you say unlettered, that means nobody from this world taught him. So a person goes, what do you mean? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala taught him. So it also means he is not taught by any worldly teacher. Another meaning the scholars point out, he is the source prophet. Source, S-O-U-R-C-E. He is the source of the prophets. He is the first but the last to be sent. So meaning without him, there would be nothing. So how do they interpret Ummin from that? Because Umm means mother. Umm means mother. Makkah is called Umm al-Qura, the mother city. Why is it called the mother city? Because from that everything spread out. It's the source. So Rasulullah is Ummi. He's the source prophet. So not have any of the scholars gone down the path of saying he's illiterate. Who said that? They say he's got a nation, he has an ummah. He's unlettered, he's not taught by anybody from this world. He is the source of the prophets. And all of that is just helping to explain why Allah calls him Ummi. The lesson, one must be extremely careful when talking about our most magnificent, beloved and majestic messenger. For was not the first grave slip due to looking down upon a mighty prophet. What was shaitan's slip? He looked down upon Adam. But that was deliberate. So we can't, you know, we're not saying we're doing it deliberately. But that was what entered, unbelief entered into. So again, we can take this from these opening uh, passages of the uh, uh, of the revelation. So another lesson we can take. Hafiz Aini, rahmatullah he said in Umdatul Qari, volume 1, page 75. Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu's soothing words to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam confirm maintaining favorable family ties hospitality towards guests and compassion towards others safeguard a person even in this world from catastrophes and disasters subhanallah mm-hmm. so how did they deduce this the scholars because what did Khatija say he goes, no harm can come to you. Allah will not disgrace you. And then she mentioned these attributes. So Hafiz Aini says, this is a worldly benefit. <laughs> Obviously, we don't do it for worldly benefits. That's like the fringe benefits. We're doing it, you know, for the real price. The pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala paradise. But graciously, we accept these fringe benefits. Khatija's words to Rasulullah was an indication that these three deeds, so let's reiterate those deeds. They safeguard you from catastrophes in the world. Mm-hmm. Keeping family ties. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Hospitality towards guests. Milman. Mm-hmm. And compassion towards others. Meaning you feel pity. Mm-hmm. That protects you from catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Another huge lesson we can take from this opening you know, night. This opening night of the divine revelation. Mm-hmm. Hafiz Aini also said. Rahmatullah <laughs> 
in Umdatul Qadi, volume 1.75. Sayyidah Khatija radiyallahu anhu has consoling Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa by recalling his charitable deeds and outstanding accomplishments proves that if the praised person actually has such outstanding accomplishments, it is not only permissible but commendable to enumerate these accomplishments to his face provided there is no fear of him falling into vanity. So a very famous hadith, the Prophet said, if somebody praises another, throw dust in his face. So everybody seems to know that hadith. <coughs> so are you going to say throw dust in Khadija's face? And he goes, what are we talking about? Well, she praised the Prophet to his face. So the person, that's fiqh. You haven't got fiqh. You're quoting text, but you don't understand the text. So what have you missed? You missed that it is permissible, in fact, praiseworthy to mention somebody's virtues if you know there is no fear of him falling into pride. So, for instance, if a person is uh, has a special affiliation for a deed, you notice that he's, you know, he likes to fast. And then you say to that person, you think, shall I tell him that, mashallah, you know, keep it up, you're doing really well. You have to weigh up. So you're thinking, if I tell him, I know he's not going to get proud. In fact, this will encourage him more to do the deed. Then it's recommended for you to praise him to his face. Say, mashallah, but may Allah give me that tawfiq as well. I've noticed that you're quite strong in fasting. So we learn that from Khadija. So note, people go through this before, and this, they don't even give you any lessons. In continuation, Jibreel he embraced Rasulullah three times. Iqra, ma'ana biqari, hug. Iqra, ma'ana biqari, hug. Iqra, ma'ana biqari, hug. What is the wisdom of this? So again, you know, if you ask, I don't, why, you know, have I missed something, brother? Why is he hugging him? Who's hugging him? Jibreel's hugging him. This has profound wisdom. Shaykh al-Ahadith Mawlana Muhammad Idris Kandahlubi Rahmatullah in Seerat al-Mustafa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam volume 1 page 167 to 9 of the English translation he clarified quote Jibreel Amin alayhi salatu wa he embraced Rasulullah three times sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in order to transmit his angelic and spiritual qualities to him so stop in the quote the hugging, putting it very simply, was Jibreel passing on something to him. He's something of Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam, he was wanting to pass that unto Rasulullah. Mm. Then the Shaykh said, the aim was to make Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam, spiritualism and angelic attributes dominate mm. Rasulullah's human nature, sallallahu alayhi wasalam. So that his heart will be able to bear the divine verses, unseen mysteries and divine knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to ensure that his blessed being will be able to act as a medium between the creator and the creation and to ensure that he وسلم, is the ultimate in the realm of the visible and manifestation of the realm of the unseen. To stop in the quote. It was preparing him for the Qur'an. He had not received the Qur'an. 
True or false? No. He got one word. He goes, no. Ma'ana <laughs> biqari. I'm not one who reads. So he's not deceived the Quran. Jibreel's given him something. So he can now take the Quran and become a perfect model. In fact, his angelic attributes will dominate over his human qualities. Then the Sheikh said, conveyance of faith, spiritual wisdom, in this manner, is successfully established from the traditions of the Arifin. So these are technical terms, faith. Faith is when a, a spiritual master, by touch, he's passing something on. So because we're not spiritually gifted, we, this to us sounds very strange. What do you mean, passes something on? It sounds like a wishy-washy. It's not wishy-washy. The Sheikh says, this is called faith. Then he quotes proofs. So the first proof in Sayyid Bukhari, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, once Rasulullah hugged me to his chest and he made a dua. O Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, grant him knowledge of the book. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam hugging his cousin Ibn Abbas to his chest was exactly the same as Jibreel wasalam, embracing Rasulullah and squeezing him. So think about it. Dua is enough. Oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, give him knowledge of the book. That wasn't enough. Why did Rasulullah hook him? No, everything is there, but we just... You know, for some reason, we, we skip over these points. It's in Bukhari Sharif. Why did he hook him? The people, you know, oh, he's his cousin and he had great affection. Who said that? <laughs> he goes, he's passing something on. Why? Because who was Tarjaman al-Quran? Who was the interpreter of the Quran? Ibn Abbas. Why? Because of this. Rasulullah gave him something. Sallallahu alayhi wa then the Sheikh said, Abu Huraira, he relates, this is in Sayyid Bukhari. He complained to Rasulullah. He goes, Ya Rasulullah, I hear a number of hadith from you, but I tend to forget whatever I hear. In other words, I don't trust my memory. I, I want to remember, but I'm forgetting Ya Rasulullah. He then advised me to lay my sheet on the ground. As I laid my sheet on the ground, he said aloud, he said, made some gestures with his hands, like someone taking two handfuls of something and emptying them out. Mm. He then instructed, take the sheet, wrap it to your chest. I grasped the sheet close to my chest, and subhanallah, from that moment on, I haven't forgotten a single hadith. Sayyid Bukhari. So let's picture this. So Abu Hurairah complained about his memory. Rasulullah goes, take your cloak off. He takes his cloak. He straightens it on the ground. And look what's it, look how interesting. What's the Prophet doing? Ibn Rehidah goes, I'm watching him. He's grabbing something. And he goes, I can't see what he's grabbing. So he grabs something. And he's like, it's like he's pouring something onto the cloak. He does it twice. Mm. Then he goes, wrap the cloak around yourself. Mm. When I wrap the cloak, he goes, subhanAllah, he goes, photographic memory. Mm. Then he quotes Ibn Hajar Asqalani in Fattal Bari, volume 1, page 192. He comments, 
not a single hadith explicitly mentions what Rasulullah emptied from his hands onto the sheet of Abu Huraira. However, this humble servant entertains a personal opinion on this. So look how interesting, stop in the court. What was the Prophet pouring onto the cloak? Ibn Hajar Asqalani, who is a middle mu'minin of hadith. He goes, I don't know. I haven't come across a hadith, what that was. But then he goes, but I've got an inkling, meaning this is my opinion. So what's his opinion? If this opinion is correct, it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it is not, it is from shaitan and me. So why did he say that? Because this is what Abdullah ibn Mas'ud said when somebody asked him about inheritance. And they kept bugging him. Eventually he goes, if it's correct, it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If it's wrong, shaitan and myself to blame. So Ibn Hajjah copied Ibn Masood. Then he said, Ibn Hajjah, I imagine that in Alamul Ghayb, the realm of the Unseen, there exists a treasure of memory. Rasulullah thus perhaps extracted two handfuls of memory from that treasure and poured them onto the sheet of Abu Huraira. This memory was then transferred to the chest of Abu Huraira through the sheet. Although memory in this world of the visible is an intangible thing. You can't grasp it, you don't know what it is. But from the telescopic eyes of the confidence of the realm of the unseen, such matters are not concealed. Indeed, they are able to perceive such apparently intangible, intangible things. Only those who are ignorant of the perceptive senses of the prophets dare reject such phenomena. Mm. And he goes on, Ibn Hajjul Rahmatullah. So now what have we learned? Why he got hooked? <laughs> so this report is a classic example of a very, very famous hadith <laughs> that you probably heard dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of times. But be honest, has anybody explained it to you? <laughs> You know, if you start, you just stop each time, hang on a minute. Why did the Prophet not recite? Ikra. I am not one. Why did he say that? And then why did Jibreel hook him? Straight away, is it important? Well, it must be important because it's part of the Hadith. If you leave that out, what have you left out from the Hadith? The very soul of the Hadith. And then you say he's illiterate. And you think, and then you ask the people, why do you say he's illiterate? He goes, because he couldn't read. Iqra. And look how, what they're doing. They're looking at the same hadith, but with completely different lenses. How is that a proof that he's illiterate? Because he didn't read. What are you talking about? How is that? You know, if you ask him to explain. And then you, another way, just to finish with this. How much knowledge of the unseen did Allah the Almighty give to Rasulullah? So we can safely say, you know, fathomless, so much. And the proof of that is his elucidating the signs of the hour. If you go through the signs of the hour, you're thinking, you know, how much was given to him? He can't read or write. On one part, you're saying he's got all this knowledge. And he goes, he can't read or write. Does that make any sense? How can he have knowledge of literally everything and he doesn't know how to read or write? So the response is, you missed something. You misunderstood something. And when you actually go to the references that they're quoting as a proof, and you go to the correct interpretation of those proofs, you realize this is a huge blunder. 
And there's other things, you know, I don't want to lengthen this conversation too much. When the Treaty of Hudaybiyah was being signed, Hazrat Ali wrote Muhammad al-Rasulullah. And then Suhail ibn Amr, who was the representative of the unbelieving Quraysh, he goes, if we believe you are Rasulullah, we wouldn't have stopped you from doing the Umrah. He goes, wipe that out. <laughs> Write Muhammad ibn Abdullah instead, because that's factual. <laughs> so Ali, the Prophet turns to Ali, he goes, put a line through Rasulullah. And Ali, the year long ago, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He said, I can't do it, Rasulullah, out of love. So the Prophet said, where is it? And in Sayyid Bukhari, he puts a line through it. So some people look at this report. They go, look, he couldn't read or write. He's asking Ali. Then you say, there's another report where he wrote Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Are you aware of that report? Then he gives you that glazed look. Where is that? Where is that mentioned? Go and find it. So you just said he couldn't read or write. I've just quoted a text you saying he could write his name. At least, minimum. So again, not. So again, just be careful. You know, when you, if you don't know nothing, especially about the Prophet, that's, I'm not talking. It's the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So I don't want to venture into that department because Allah Taala takes people to task severely if you find fault with the Prophet And obviously, we don't do it deliberately, but reason with the brothers and sisters. Say, look, we're on the same team. If I said something wrong, prove, you know, show me where my error is. And when you actually go through the text, you go, how can you be wrong when he's quoting ulama and scholars and, you know, it's all there. You know, Allahu Akbar. So all I mentioned today, the bulk of the session was taking valuable lessons from the commencement of prophethood. And again, notice these are huge lessons. That's why I've stopped, paused, though we're going through Khadija's life, to extract those lessons, you know, so that we don't make these errors. Are there any questions you like that? Subhanahu wa bihamdi, subhanahu wa lahum wa bihamdi ka ashu la ilaha illa anta astafiru ka atubu alayka wa atubu alayhi wa shalayhi 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 wa shal